This morning, we not only have a good and gracious father, but we also have an enemy. Satan wants to do everything he can to cause you to be miserable, to doubt God's goodness, and to feel all alone. He wants you to feel all alone in the middle of a crowd. And you know that's happening all the time around us. People can be in a crowd and still be lonely. Have you ever had that happen where you just feel like, what am I even doing here? John wrote, so that you could know that Jesus is truly God, come in the flesh, that through him you can be restored to a relationship with God, and that you don't have to experience this isolation that the world feels. You can have fellowship. You can be accepted. You can walk in the light. A great theme of the Bible is you can, and if I could put in parenthesis, should, but you can be right with God. Many people today are going to a church and they're going to be told, do your best, work really hard, and hopefully you can be right with God. Maybe at the end of your life, if the timing works out right, you get it all right, and you get everything confessed right before you die, maybe you can be right with God. Well, if you're, if you're really good, I guess that's an encouragement. That's not such an encouragement to me. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, we read of men and women that faced incredible difficulties and dangers. We won't get into that text this morning. If you'd like to read about these people, it's like, it's like the Hall of Fame. They had families, they had feelings, they had fears, but because they were right with God, they possessed a calmness, a poise, a hopefulness which nothing could destroy. You see things going wrong all around and about them, and yet you see them just going forward. What was their secret? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. In the middle of that verse we read, as seeing him who is invisible. I can't tell you this morning that your life will be without difficulty and without disappointment. I can tell you that if we are right at our center with God, we can say, come what may, my life's okay. I'm right with God. That's why we meet together this morning. It's because you got stuff going on in your life. But when we pause... We meet together and we sing praises to him and we worship him with our spirit. We remember, my life's okay. I'm right with God. So this morning as we look at this text, I just wanted you to pause for a moment and remember why we're here. 
for some of you younger people, you know, you're here because your mom and dad brought you here. And you probably didn't have a discussion this morning to say, okay, who all wants to go to church this morning? <laughs> I don't think that happened in your family. But now that you're here, take a deep breath for a moment. And for the next 30 minutes, would you just set aside all those things that are going to be there and that are nipping at your heels right now? They're going to be there when you leave. But the difference is when you walk out of here, you're reminded of why you can have confidence and why you go forward in the middle of a mixed up, messed up world. John probably wrote this at the end of the first century, somewhere between 85 and 90. And John was an older man, older than me, all right? He was probably like a great-grandpa age. He would have been um, 80s, 90s. He knew he didn't have a lot of years left. And you know, when you don't have a lot of years left, you tend to begin thinking differently. When you're young, you just... What's the next exciting thing? But when you get older, you begin to think, what's really important? And what do I really want to tell people? And what do I want to do with my life? I remember my 40th birthday thinking, hmm, I'm not young anymore. I remember my 50th birthday saying, it's not as bad as some people say. But I remember my 50th birthday and I remember thinking, I've only got a little bit of time left and I want to use it to make it count. That's what John is doing in this text. So when you read this, I want you to feel his heart. I want you to understand. John is saying, this is really important. You need to know this. And he's going to remind you of things that some of you are going to go... I know that. And let me tell you, the people in this church that he was writing to, they knew it too. And John still wrote it because they needed to know this. So right now, if you're beginning to kind of settle into, I know this, guard yourself. Give me the next 27 minutes and recognize this is really important. So let's look at the text again. My little children. Now he's not writing to infants He's writing to people that probably had received the Lord as their Savior through his ministry or ones that he had discipled. And so it's an endearing term. You know, there are terms you guys use around your house that you typically maybe don't use out even in public. But they're family terms. They're terms that you know. I mean, if you hear the word, you immediately turn your head. Why? Because you know. That's my dad. That's my mom. That's my grandma. That's my grandpa. My little children. These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. Now why would he say that? Because he's already been talking about, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In fact, what he's really told them was, walking in the light is not living a perfect life. No one could do that. What's he talking about? 
He said, if we have no sin, remember the concept was a sin nature. If we are walking in the kingdom of darkness, we don't have fellowship with God. He's not saying that every moment of every day a person is continually doing wicked, heinous things. He's saying the very core of who you are is sinful. And then he says, but if we walk in the light. Now, the comparison of that would have to be just the same. He's not saying that you never sin, that you never do the wrong things, but in fact now you are in the kingdom of light. You're now walking in that kingdom because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember how he, how he states it? He says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So now all of a sudden we've got this wonderful idea, and that is I'm safe, I'm secure in Christ. Even if I sin, I don't lose my salvation. So, what does that mean? Does it matter now if I sin? Can I just go out and do whatever? Well, that's a debate you'll often hear that people make, but let me encourage you to think about this. The reason why Jesus came and died and his blood cleanseth us from all sin is because of how awful sin is. Sin always hurts you. Sin always damages you. Sin is the reason why this world isn't a fun place all the time to be, isn't a joyous place. Because of what sin does, it destroys relationships. It destroys your ability to always be together. This week, one of our church members experienced the awfulness of death. It separates. And God told us sin always separates. Sometimes it separates in distance, physical distance, but sin always separates emotionally and spiritually. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, literally the word and there is, in the Greek language, you can flip, it, it can sometimes mean and and it can sometimes mean but. You know, it's a conjunctive word. And literally, John is saying and or but if any man sin, because when he says, I've written unto you that ye sin not, it's like, oh, I failed. It says, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, John's going to point out two dangers. Today, we're going to look at the really practical side of this text, and then maybe, Lord willing, next week, um, we'll look at a little more closely at the doctrinal side of it. So I'm going to mention a couple words this morning, but we're not going to really park on those words and explain those words. Lord willing, next week we will. So don't be discouraged, or you can go home and look them up. Okay, so don't, but don't be discouraged if some of these words you say, I'm not quite clear on that. First of all, he's concerned that we get complacent in our Christianity. And then he's concerned that we feel hopeless. Both of those things are the things Satan wants us to do this morning. So first of all, let's look at the first part of chapter one, of chapter 2, verse 1. 
What's the command that he gives us? We're just going to look at two things this morning. We're going to look at the command, and we're going to look at the comfort. Okay, so those are two words that are easy to remember. You can jot them down if you need to. How are we to maintain our joy? How can we be walking with God? All right, we get a new nature at salvation, and now we walk in the new kingdom. But how can we have fellowship with him? The tendency is we get out of balance. We've just seen in chapter 1 that sin is the thing that blocks our fellowship, that it's the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can cleanse us. If the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse, what is the big deal about sin? Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Shall we continue to sin to show God's grace? And what was Paul's response? Oh, may it never be. May that never be the attitude that we have. So what's the first command that he says? My little children, these things write I unto you, lest there be any, concern, lest there be any confusion, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. For you young people, here's the thing you need to really lock in on, and maybe for us older people as well. What we need to lock in on is the fact that we have as our goal, I don't want to sin. That's our focus. I don't want to sin. If you want to maintain fellowship with anyone, but specifically with God, don't sin. Sin's not a good thing. Sin always hurts you. If I lie to my wife, what's it going to do to our fellowship? You say, she'll never know. Now, in that God always knows because he's omniscient, has all knowledge. He would know that. But my wife might not know that. But you know what? Even when she doesn't know that I've lied, it hurts our relationship because I know that I've lied, so now I'm not free to be open with her. He says, don't sin. That ye sin not. It's a negative way of saying it. It's a very practical command. What does the command mean? What is it to sin? Let's talk about that for just a moment. And why should we not sin? Sin is to disobey God's law. Sin is anything that is condemned in the Bible. So let's start with such a simple thing as, all right? So if the Bible says don't do it, we shouldn't do it, right? It's, it's simple. If you start with it and you just say, he says, I've written this so that you sin not. If God says it in his word, if he says it's wrong, don't do it. What are some examples? All right, remember the Ten Commandments? Have we, have we done the Ten Commandments of learning Ten Commandments with your fingers? Have we done that? You're kind of looking at me like maybe not. So everybody, hold up, hold up both hands real quickly, all right? Got, most of us have Ten Fingers, Okay. So if you if you've got ten digits, all right, four fingers, two thumbs. I get it. Okay. So let's let's begin first of all with number one commandment is thou shalt have no other gods before me. So you can put the other hands down and just one digit up, all right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All right. One god. Two. Turn sideways, turn them into scissors. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Three. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in me. So take these three fingers, put them over your lips. I'm not going to say the wrong things about God. Four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. All right? Fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. 
Five, honor your father and mother. Salute. All right? Six, thou shalt not kill. All right? Seven, put two fingers. Got the five here. Seven, have them walk together. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All right? All right? Remember, thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight, thou shalt not steal. You steal, they put you in jail, they cut your thumbs off, okay? Eight, thou shalt not steal. Nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. Talk about someone. So, so get your fingers like this, kind of put them like you're talking so no one can read what you're saying like the football guys do when they're calling plays, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. And ten, do this with your fingers. Thou shalt not covet. Right? I want more, I want more, I want more. Thou shalt not covet. All right, God says... Don't have any gods before me. God says, don't make any graven images of me. God says, don't take my name in vain. God says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. God says, honor your father and mother. God says, do not kill. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. God says, thou shalt not steal. God says, thou shalt not bear false witness. God says, thou shalt not covet. All right, those are the things we begin by saying, okay, I don't want to do those things. That's our goal every day. Why is that so wrong? Because if we put anything above God, we are going to totally lose sight of him. God is the one joy. God is the one constant. God is the one blessing. He's the giver of all good things. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, from God. Cometh down from the Father of light. What does John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1 tell us? This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light. So all of a sudden we begin to realize when we block God out of our life, what happens? Things get dark. We get cabin fever. Life doesn't feel right. God in his kindness says, don't kill. And then Jesus says, oh, just so you understand, the attitude behind killing is hatred. Don't hate. I don't have the right today to look at someone else. I hate that person. Oh, I hate that. And I might not even tell them that. But what the problem is, it's in my heart, isn't it? You, go, you would do that? How come we're talking about me all of a sudden? Okay? All of a sudden, you know, we start thinking, do I ever have that problem? Yes, I do. Have I ever killed someone? Well, not physically. Might have mentally couple times and what happens it takes the joy out of my life and I think I've got this right and the very thing I believe the lie that Satan is telling me if I would just do what scripture says and up oh, no I can't do that God says I can't why God's good he's not withholding something from me he's protecting me all right thou shalt not commit adultery and what happens well that happens physically, but you know what? That happens mentally as much in the church as it does outside the church. Look at the statistics. Why? Pornography. But it's such a wonderful thing. It makes me feel so good. No, it just traps you and then burdens you. Thou shalt not steal. Don't take anything that's not yours. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. 
So even if you think it's going to make someone feel good, you mean I still shouldn't lie? No, you still shouldn't lie. Um, why shouldn't I covet? I mean, what's wrong with just looking at someone else's stuff and go, boy, I wish I had theirs? Well, and even I wish I had that, you know, the problem is is that we tend then to lose sight of the fact that God's the one who provides all things and God has been providing for me. And we lose the joy of what we have. Why shouldn't I take God's name in vain? Because we devalue what's important. You know, when you misuse my wife's name, you're devaluing what's really valuable to me. But when you take God's name in vain, you're devaluing what's valuable to all of us. Now, you know what? We get in the habit of things. But I would just encourage you, evaluate your mouth. And if you're saying things that either take God's name in a flippant way, or if you know you're going to get in trouble for using God's name in a flippant way, so you use another word that sounds kind of like that, but you know you probably get by with saying that one. Let me just encourage you. I'm not laying down a law for you. I'm just telling you, why would you want to devalue the only one that is good? Hmm. I could, the only person I can think that would like to do that is Satan. Because he doesn't want you to know how good God is. So as we look at this, he says, don't disobey God's law, but second of all, don't disobey your conscience. You know, sometimes you say, I don't know for certain if I should do this or not, but you've got this little flag that's going, hmm, you know, that's really close to the line. Let's double check that. Your conscience is the inward monitor that God gave you. It's the voice that says, stop and think for a moment. To disobey conscience, Scripture says, is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Maybe that's not so much appearance for everyone else, but maybe even for you. If you think, mm, maybe, maybe it's not good. You see, sin is anything that's condemned in the Bible. Sin is disobedience to God's revealed law. Sin is when we are governed by our desires and not by truth. Sin is the way of the world. Sin is the attitude of the world. The attitude of the world is, I don't think about God unless I'm frightened about something, an illness or a death or something that radically gets my attention. Instead, he's, if we could put this in a positive light, you know, he said, I've written that ye do not sin, so what would be the opposite of that? I've written this so that you walk in the light. You know, the best way not to be sin, not to sin is to be governed by God. To obey God's word. Well, so then why shouldn't we sin? Because sin is against all that is good and is encouraging. It's utterly opposed to God, to his divine nature. I must not sin because God said I must not sin and God is good. Sometimes we stop and we miss that last phrase. I can't sin because God said I can't sin and God's a mean God. No, God is a good God. God is a good God. Sin is wrong in and of itself. Sin is wrong in its own nature. If you look at sin objectively, not when you're tempted, look at its ugliness. Look at its foulness. 
Look at the misery it causes. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm one sick of reading about Jeffrey Epstein, but my heart breaks when I read about Jeffrey Epstein. Here is a man reportedly worth $559 million. If money could make you happy, Jeff should have been happy. He was in jail because he was accused of hurting children. Why would a man with $559 million have to hurt children? Because he was trapped in sin. And we look at what happens. To you teenagers, let me just encourage you, think about this. You're going to be tempted. I was tempted. We've all been tempted. We are being tempted to do wrong. We're being tempted that, yes, if no one knows, go down this path of impurity. But the reality is, it's a dead-end street that leads you where you're going to get hurt and beat up because you can't get out the other end. Satan never tells you that, but you need to know that. The temptation's going to be there. Look at this. Do this. And you need to remember, oh, wait, wait, wait. My good God tells me not to do this because it's going to hurt me. Now, when you're in the middle of the temptation, it's going to seem so good. What do you need to do? Already determine, I'm going to do what God says. My little children, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. I hadn't, maybe some of you were current on this. I'm not a real current um, Miley Cyrus person. But this morning in the newspaper I saw Miley Cyrus and her husband have decided to separate. They've been married for less than a year. And her representative said, the pair are focusing right now on themselves and their careers. But they've decided to stay dedicated parents to all the animals they own. How I hurt for this girl that started in the entertainment business as this simple, pure, innocent little girl as a Hannah Montana. And her life's all messed up. And she's got lots of money. She's got everything that Satan promised her. And at the end of that street, what did she find? The brick wall. And she got back there and Satan's thugs are beating her to a pulp. Happens every time, every time. Every time. I hurt for her. Any of you who have gone through stress in your marriage, you know the ugliness of that. Sin is the cause of our destroyed world. Sin is the thing that made my loving Savior endure such suffering and shame. It was sin that caused him to sweat great drops of blood. It was sin that drove the nails into his holy hands. John says, I've written these things that ye sin not.
John says, I wrote these things that you sin not because sin is what breaks your fellowship with God and casts us off from our joy. I don't know what's going to happen to you. I don't know what's going to happen to us. Persecution, war, some kind of calamity. The key is that you're right with God and sin breaks fellowship with God. You say, I know this. Why do you spend so much time on it? Because we all just keep doing it. We might know it, but we really don't know it. At least we don't believe it. Talked about the command. Got five minutes to talk about comfort. Let's look at the second part of verse one. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Isn't that a fascinating thing? First of all, I want you to notice two comforting words here. We won't have time to dig into them very far, but maybe, Lord willing, next week we will. First of all, we have an advocate. An advocate is someone who comes along, who we call and is coming alongside us and stands with us. Remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus says, but I will send you another comforter. Do you remember that? Who was the first comforter? Jesus. And when Jesus was leaving, he sent the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going to send you another one just like me. I'm going to send someone to you that can comfort you. But here in this text, Jesus says, John's telling you, we have an advocate. Notice the we there, not you. What's John relating to? John's saying, I'm a sinner just like you. No one gets out of this. Here the truth is, is that we have an advocate. We have someone who comes alongside, someone who's arguing for us, someone who's pleading our case. And that person is Jesus Christ. I love this term for him, the righteous. Next week. Lord willing, we'll get into that term. But look at verse 2 with me. And he is the propitiation. <laughs> Again, enough with the huge words, but the huge words are very precise words. They're important words. So we have an advocate, and what's the other comfort we have? We have a propitiation. Propitiation is the way by which God can pardon sin. Propitiation does not procure God's love. Or make him loving. God is already loving. It, is, it only renders God's love consistent with who he is when propitiation takes place. God wants to love. He had to provide a way to love us. And that way was Jesus Christ. Christ is the propitiation because by his becoming our substitute and taking our place. Here's another big word. He expiated our guilt. See, these are doctrine words. They're important words because they tell us the great truths that God has provided for us. So, when he says, we have an advocate... Who is he talking about? Look at the end of verse 2. Is he saying that he's the advocate for the whole world? No, the context is, though he is, he, he is the propitiation, he is the way for the whole world, 
He is our advocate, those who have placed their faith in Christ alone. So today, though you are part of the whole world, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is not your advocate today. He could be. He wants to be. He provided a way to be. But he is not. It's for Christian people. So, what's this participation in this fellowship with God? When I, when I get up every morning, and, and I don't think any of us get up, and maybe some of us do. I, mean, I, I can't speak for you. But I'm going to guess most of us don't get up in the morning thinking, I'm going to sin. Boy, I want to sin. I'm looking forward to sinning. Not if you're walking in the light, not if you're part of that kingdom. But I do sin every day. I fail every day. And so my job every day is to think, I don't want to do this. There's a battle going on. I don't want to do this. But if I do, I have an advocate who has already paid for all of my sin. Right with God. My life's okay. Because the most important thing is done. I'm right with God. Horatio Spafford was born in 1828. He spent his early years in New York. He moved to New York. He moved to Chicago, became a successful lawyer and businessman. He was active in his local church as a Sunday school teacher, as well as he was active in the YMCA, which used to mean the Young Men's Christian Association. Beginning in the 1870s, Spafford's faith was tested by a series of tragic incidents. 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed real estate located along Lake Michigan, and that comprised most of his portfolio. 1873, two years later, a physician counseled the Spaffords to take a vacation because Mrs. Spafford's health was failing. Knowing that their friend, Dwight Moody, would be preaching in England, they decided to take their vacation in England. But at the last moment, he had a business deal that came up, so he sent his wife and daughters on the Villa de Harve, which was a, an American ship, and he said he was going to come in a couple days later. On November 22nd, 1873, the Villa de Harve, sailing along the coast of Newfoundland, was struck by an English ship, the Lockern, and the Villa de Harve sank in 12 minutes. 226 lives were lost, including Spafford's daughters. After hours of floating in the water, Mrs. Spafford was rescued. When she arrived in Wales, she sent her husband a telegram that said two words, saved alone. Receiving this horrifying news, Spafford immediately got on the next ship to join his wife. And as he was going over, he asked the captain, he said, when we get to the spot, would you please tell me where, where it was that my daughters died and where the ship sank? Once he was notified that the area was near, Spafford didn't stay up to watch it. He went down into his cabin 
And he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. You see, the hymn refers to Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us, but God commendeth, God showcased his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When the Spaffords eventually met up with Dwight Moody, Moody said, how are you doing? And Spafford told him quietly, it is well. The will of the Lord be done. Not out of resignation, but because God is good. Spafford's words turned into a beloved hymn. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, in this blessed assurance, let this blessed assurance control, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. You see, the thing that gave Horatio Spafford hope was the fact that God loved him. It wasn't that his life was going to be without trouble. When we're tempted to forget what's really important in life, what makes a man leave his wife and chase someone else? He thinks that that person is more important than his relationship with God. He's forgotten that sin breaks fellowship. The truth is, what really matters is being right with God. What makes us steal? What makes us do what we do? John says he wants them to know something really important. Purity matters. Some of you would recognize the name John Newton. Someday we'll talk about his life story, but I love this quote. When John was an old man, he had been a slave ship captain. He had abused people, had kidnapped people, and brought them to the United States and sold people. But he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he wrote this. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. I'm not even what I hope to be, but I thank God I'm not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Practically, as we look at this text, here's the summary. Here's the Cliff Notes version. Don't sin. Stop making excuses. You get to choose every day. 
Everybody, when he is drawn by his own lust, is tempted and enticed. Whatever is getting you, get rid of it. I don't know what it is. We're going to choose the lifestyle we pursue. The world's philosophy tells us that we've got to give in. They tell us we've got to have what they have to offer, but we don't need that. The truth is, Christ is all I need.